Welcome to the last Seacock Fireside Chat, a series of podcasts dealing with recent developments in oncology. My name is Christiane Dallinger and it's my pleasure to moderate the Fireside Chat of the Central European Cooperative Oncology Group. On behalf of the President of the Central European Cooperative Oncology Group, Professor Zielinski, I would like to welcome you very warmly to this online educational event. The Seacock Fireside Chats are sponsored by AstraZeneca. The topic of today is Zoom in for HER2 positive space, pharmacology and clinical efficacy and safety for trastuzumab, deruxtecan in later lines of treatment. I'm very happy to welcome our very distinguished speakers today, Professor Zielinski, President of the Central European Cooperative Oncology Group, and Professor Evandro de Asambuja from the Institut Jules Bordet in Belgium. The listeners relax, sit back and enjoy our last Seacock Fireside Chat. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the uh, Fireside Talk of the Central European Cooperative Oncology Group, Seacock. And as you all know, we do have um, here a series of topics which we usually discuss. Now, today it's my particular pleasure to welcome Professor Evandro de Azambuja, who is head of the medical support team and head of the breast unit at the Institut Jules Bordet in Brussels. Now, um, the fireside talks uh, of the Central European Cooperative Oncology Group have the uh, aim to discuss things a little bit in depth and have it in an informal way certain conclusions. So today we are having this um, very interesting topic, which is zooming in at the uh, HER2 positive situation in breast cancer. As uh, you all know, we did have a series of different um, uh, different drugs which have emerged during the last couple of very few years, uh, which can be used either uh, for the primary treatment for positive breast cancer or um, in second or third lines. Now, today we want to uh, concentrate a little bit on trastuzumab deruxtecan, um, and uh, we are very grateful that AstraZeneca has uh, supported us financially to make this event possible. Now, Evandro, um, it's my pleasure to welcome you and to thank you very much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have such an important person with us uh, who has been involved in such a series of trials in, uh, concerning breast cancer. And uh, I would very much uh, like to invite you to give us a little bit of an overview on the uh, research and development on uh, a variety of uh, targeting drugs, um, and particularly uh, the uh, positioning at certain uh, uh, episodes during the disease from pharmacology and uh, to the clinic, please. Okay. Thank you very much, Christoph. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for this kind invitation. Uh, R2 positive disease is a very fortunate disease. Since we discovered this gene in 1988, at that moment we didn't have many treatments to treat this disease. So it was a very aggressive disease, but luckily we had new drugs that were developed that targeted the R2 receptor. And this started with trastuzumab, and later on, pertuzumab, lapatinib, and PDM1. And today, in the past year, 
in the past 18 months, I have to say, we have seen a lot of new uh, drugs. The regime is being approved for the treatment of metastatic breast cancer patients with F2 positive disease. And folks on tyrosine and kinase inhibitors, we have we had lapatinib that was the first approved. Now we have neratinib that was approved, and you have tucatinib. And folks on monoclonal antibodies and antibody drug conjugates, we had CDM1 that was the first ADC that was approved for breast cancer, uh, and now we have trastuzumab deruticum. That is also a antibody monoclonal, a monoclonal antibody that combines trastuzumab with a very potent chemotherapy. And that is the principle of uh, ADC, antibody drug conjugated. They have the potency of a chemotherapy that goes inside the tumor cells and kills the tumor cells. And why trastuzumab deruticum is different from CDM1? And I think this is important to understand the efficacy, but also the safety profile of trastuzumab deruticum. Normally, the ADC has the trastuzumab linked to the chemotherapy agent, and the, chemo the linkage can be a cleavable or non-cleavable. The TDM1 is a non-cleavable, so they, they need to have the R2 positive, 3 plus of each positive, to go into the cell into Q. The difference with trastuzumab deruticum that is a cleavable, which means that it can be destroyed before entering to the tumor cell. So there is not only the effect direct on the F2 positive cells, but there is also a bystander effect. So cells that have a low expression of R2, R1 plus or 2 plus fish negative, they also can be affected by this drug. So there is this bystander effect. So you see a very strong potency of the treatment, but also can lead to some toxicity, and you can discuss this further. And I think this concept of trastuzumab deruticum is very interesting. It was tested first in a phase two trial and led to the approval of trastuzumab deruticum. In this trial, they included 184 patients after positive metastatic breast cancer patients. And it was very interesting and impressive to see the number of line of previous lines of treatment, the medium was six, but some patients, they were heavily pre-treated up to 27 lines of previous therapy. So very uh, heavily pre-treated patient population. And what did they found? They found the first results, they, it was presented with a short follow-up about 10 months, and they found the overall response rate 61%. And the medium, progress to survive about 18, uh, 16 months, sorry. And then late last year, they presented again the data in San Antonio with a longer follow-up, 20 months, and they confirmed that the overall response rate remains 61%, and the media progress to survive is about 19 months. But what is impressive is to see the amount of patients leaving the overall survival of this patient population. Also at one year, at 18 uh, months, they can see a huge proportion of patients that are still alive. So this is a phase two trial that led to the approval of the drug because of the efficacy, very intensive. And this is being tested now head to head 
with uh, m one uh, and if the trial is positive, is going to take a second line treatment. And it's also being tested in R2 low, meaning R2 that is considered negative, that will have been treated as triple negative. And now they have the possibility of being treated with trastuzumab deritzicam. The trial has finished the accrual. You are waiting for the results of the trial. Okay, well, that it's, um, thank you very much for showing us this uh, exciting development during the last couple of uh, very few years. Now, um, let's say that uh, a patient comes in uh, who is, let's say, uh, HER2 positive and uh, she has received in the adjuvant uh, setting trastuzumab plus pertuzumab, for instance, and then she uh, goes on to become metastatic. Now, uh, what would your how would your decision tree look like for how to approach this patient? Yeah, I have to say that the guidelines, what they recommend today, and then you can go back to your particular case. First line treatment for L2 positive metastatic breast cancer is dual blockade with pertuzumab, trastuzumab, and chemotherapy because it prolongs progressive survival and overall survival growth. The second line, the guideline is still recommended CDM1 because it improves progressive survival and overall survival. And then the third line, what we have today, assuming that you have approval of all drugs, you can have trastuzumab deruticum, you can have tucatinib, capcitabine, trastuzumab, particularly those patients with brain metastasis. This regimen has a very high activity in patients with brain metastasis, prolonged progressive survival and overall survival for those patients. Then you have the possibility of uh, neratinib and capcitabine that was tested in the NALA trial. The results are less impressive. You have an improvement in progressive survival, no improvement in overall survival. And then you have a margetuximab that is approved in the United States that should be a potent trastuzumab. Uh, it prolongs progressive survival, not a very important improvement, but does not prolong uh, overall survival. So, we have different options today, assuming that you have the registration of all these drugs. I think everything is going to be dependent on previous treatment and toxicity to your patient because they have different toxicities. Uh, if you look third line today, if I have trastuzumab deruticum, if I have tucatinib, capsaticinib, trastuzumab, I think you have to consider uh, how is the performance state of the patient whether the patient has uh, brain metastasis or not, uh, and particular toxicity. Tucatinib can give a, a lot of diarrhea. Uh, it's a pump CKI, so we have more, more cutaneous effects, more diarrhea, and this is important because capsaicin also gives this. If you look to the can, you can have more effects of the campitocin, like you can have some diarrhea, but there is an important toxicity that is the pulmonary toxicity of this drug. They, could, they found that 13% uh, of those patients, of the 184 patients, they developed pneumonitis, interstitial lung disease. Not many that had a grade 3, 4, or 5, mostly grade 1 and 2, but this is still important. If you have a patient with many, a lung metastasis with previous uh, interstitial disease because of other drugs that would be less favorable to give trastuzumab deruticum. Okay, that is the rationale that you are using today to decide the treatment.
But going back to your question, the patient received uh, pertuzumab, trastuzumab in neoadjuvant-adjuvant -adjuvant setting and relapsed later on. I think the first question is how long is the disease-free interval of this patient? If it is prolonged right, right. or is very short. If the patient had a very short, let's say, six months or less, I think we need to really change the strategy. And then we would go like TDM1 or test other uh, uh, treatment. If the patient had a prolonged over disease uh, free interval, like 12, 24 months, I think we can even rechallenge those patients with dual blockade and chemotherapy. So the, the answer is, is dependent on the disease free interval. Uh, but now the right. problem comes right. as well because those patients who received answer to drugs in the new adjuvant setting, if they didn't have pathological complete response, meaning they still have a residual disease, those patients are candidates to receive TDM1. So we're gonna have, in a few years, we're gonna have a patient population that they have been treated with dual blockade, they have been treated with TDM1 in the adjuvant setting. So the next strategy is really to look for those new drugs like trastuzumab, derutzikam, uh, tucatinib with capsaicabina and trastuzumab. So we are evolving, but we are also creating problems for ourselves, I think, sometimes. But it's very nice to see how the landscape of treatment changes for astro-positive disease. So uh, would you say that uh, like uh, TDM1 and Tuzumab-Teroxtican and other uh, antibody um, drug conjugates are similar, the same, uh, uh, can be used um, uh, instead of each other? How would you position that? Yeah, like uh, I mentioned, the ADCs, like TDM1, compared to TDM1, comparing uh, trastuzumab deruticum, they both have trastuzumab, they both have a chemotherapy, they are different types of chemotherapy, they have different toxicity, but the main thing is the linker that combines those two, right, right. if it's a cleavable or not cleavable, and that gives you the potency and the toxicity. You cannot use them interchangeably. I cannot say I use a TDM1 or I use trastuzumab deruticum because it's the same, they are both ADCs. No, I cannot do that because the toxicity and the safety, they are very different. I cannot say today that trastuzumab deruticum is more potent than TDM1 because I don't have the data, the study is ongoing, but there is a chance that trastuzumab deruticum might be more potent than TDM1. But this needs to be proven, yes. So where would you see um, where would you see the uh, development going? Because I think that that is quite interesting. We we all know, of course, that um, uh, that uh, if you have HER2 positive disease, it would be desirable to have a complete remission once you give neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And as uh, we all know, there were these trials. Which showed that if you, you have you have not not a complete remission, further her two targeting treatment would be um, would be beneficial for the patient. So, would you see all these drugs um, uh, also being developed in the adjuvant and the new adjuvant setting, which we were mentioning, and then eventually replacing? perhaps even pertuzumab, or what would you say if you were if you were able to design everything, what is going on? How would you design it? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. 
Those patients with residual disease after chemo and anti-R2 drugs, we know that they require to be treated with TDM1. That's the standard of care today, but it's still, despite of giving TDM1 to those patients, there are some subgroups like large tumors, a lot of positive lymph nodes, they still have a prognosis that's not good. So we need to do more in those patients. And there are some trials really looking to this question, what can you do further to improve the outcome of those patients with residual disease? There is an American trial, uh, it's called the COMPA, and they are looking for those patients with residual disease. They are going to randomize to TDM1 or TDM1 to catinib. So we are improving further the treatment of the post neoadjuvant treatment of those patients. And the same is true for trastuzumab deruxan. It's being tested in residual disease. I think that in the next five years, you're going to see some change again in the landscape of uh, R2-positive early breast cancer with residual disease. This is an aggressive disease. If there, there is residual disease, you really need to do more than just TDM1, particularly in the, those patients with a, a high risk of recurrence high tumor burden, positive lymph nodes, high tumors. Okay, so uh, that is um, that is another, sorry. Sorry. So that is another interesting question, which we might uh, really, sorry, we had a problem here, obviously on the net. All right, so we have uh, Ms. Fisher, can I continue? I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Okay, so um, yes, another question that we would have here um, in this very context is um, uh, how, uh, how would you rate toxicity versus efficacy uh, in uh, all these trials? Because we of course, of course know that, uh, that certain trials had to be stopped because of toxicity, particularly combined with other, uh, with other cytotoxic drugs. And I'm thinking right now about um, diarrhea, et cetera. So how would you rate toxicity versus uh, efficacy in these, in, in, in these compounds? Yeah, I think, I think in the metastatic, in the early breast cancer, we have good examples like neratinib, for instance. Now is approved to be right. used in the adjuvant set for patients who completed one year of trastuzumab. And uh, if they are at a high risk of relapse, those patients, if they have hormonal receptor positive disease, they are eligible to receive neratinib for one year. Uh, the problem with neratinib, it works. It will decrease the relapse on this patient population, but there are some toxicity. And the main toxicity is diarrhea. If you look into the uh, neratinib trial, the original trial, they had up to 40% diarrhea grade 3. If you think that in an adjuvant set, in a curative set, and the patient wants to go back to work, wants to have a normal family life, that's not acceptable. Uh, so they had some strategy, and one of them is to start with a very low dose of neratinib and increase this progressively. So this diarrhea grade that was 40% decreased to 10%, but it's still, it's still thinking about 10%. I think if you want to justify the use of those drugs, 
in the oral breast cancer, where you are going to kill the patient, you need to have a good improvement in, in disease-free survival, invasive disease-free survival. Probably overall survival will play a role if it's one more rationale for you to continue the drug. And then the toxicity is quality of life. And then you need to discuss with your patient and try to manage those side effects very early. So the patient, if they start with those side effects like the diarrhea, they have to manage very early. And then depends on the risk of relapse, very aggressive disease, and the quality of life of the patient. This is not so easy when you use those uh, treatments in the early breast cancer setting because you, some patients, they really stop treatment because of this. But other drugs like TDM1, they also have some side effects like thrombocytopenia, uh, liver function alterations, neuropathy, and sometimes you have to stop the treatment as well. So it's a really a matter that you see the risk of relapse, we discuss with your patients, and you follow up with these patients very closely. Um, okay. And, um, uh, what would you say um, concerning the toxicities uh, or the importance of toxicities versus efficacies in the adjuvant versus uh, uh, the advanced setting? Is this something which you would uh, consider as well? Yeah, I would consider, and I think also the patients, they see this different. I have the feeling that in the metastatic setting, because you are not going for curative, but you want to control the disease, you want to prolong the progress to survival of those patients, and sometimes the overall survival of those patients, I think they tend to accept more the side effects than in the early breast cancer setting. Because in the early breast cancer, they tolerate when they are with chemotherapy, but once you finish the chemotherapy part, all other side effects that come with this, uh, those anti-R2 drugs like CDM1 or uh, neratinib or pertuzumab, trastuzumab, those patients they have less tolerance. I think they want to recover back their quality of life. They want to have their life as normal as possible, and I think they are totally right. So I think the the threshold for a patient to accept what is a toxicity in the metastatic set is much different than in the early breast cancer setting. I think that that is uh, another very important aspect that we probably will have to cover and, and always think when we're treating patients with her to positive disease. So, uh, when we would come to a, to, to a summary and to sum up, um, as you said, I mean, patients with HER2 positive breast cancer are probably right now in a, uh, in a uh, very promising situation that their disease will be controlled for in the early setting, but, but also in the advanced, uh, in the advanced setting. Um, and uh, we see, of course, patients who, are, who survive for many years, even if they're metastatic, uh, when the, the tumor turns out to be very positive. Now, um, of course, uh, there will be a lot of consensus, uh, uh, consensus conferences, consensus statements concerning uh, the, uh, the steps, first line, second line, third line treatment, etc. So, um, what would you say is still right now lacking uh, when we consider all these HER2 positive, uh, HER2 targeted drugs? What is currently lacking to make um, or to define such a cascade 
which drug to use at what point? Yeah, I think what is left, we have very good phase three trials showing a lot of improvement in patients' outcome. But what is lacking for me is real-world data. And they are explaining why. Because when the pertuzumab, trastuzumab, first line in the Cleopatra trial was designed, very few patients have been previously treated with anti-arthur droids, only 10% of the population. And the TDM1 trial, based on the Emilia results, was presented. We had progressive survival, overall survival. But those patients, they had they were not treated with dual blockade. They were treated with trastuzumab. And it goes like that. Many, some of those new trials, they are really looking for a more recent patient population, meaning first line pertuzumab, trastuzumab, second line TDM1, and then they go for the third line. But some of those trials, they have included very few patients in this sequence of treatment. So if you look at the NALA trial, we have about 30% only of the population that received pertuzumab and TDM1. So those trials are not really representing the patient population today. And for me, it's a concern. We cannot develop trials to address all those settings, but you really need to have real-world data to confirm that we still have the efficacy. Like now, if the patient had pertuzumab, trastuzumab in set, then TDM1, in the post-neurodivant set, and then three years later has a relapse, which is the treatment I'm going to give to those patients. We will never have a trial like that. We need to collect the information, the reward data. And for me, this is what is going to be crucial. And France, they are doing a very nice uh, registry on this. They have a lot of patients, particularly their two positive populations, they are collecting reward data. This is going to help us to really confirm the situation the safety and efficacy of each drug after the sequencing. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so to, I think uh, we had uh, this uh, really exciting and interesting talk uh, and uh, highlighting the pros and cons and the difficulties that we're facing right now. But um, the bottom line definitely says that her 2 positive disease has experienced an enormous uh, drive and enormous dynamics uh, during the last couple of very few years. And uh, we are really uh, looking forward to further developments in the new adjuvant setting, in the adjuvant setting, and also by the definition of the cascade, and you, you, as you have pointed out. So, Armando, thank you very much for this uh, highly interesting and extremely informative talk. As is always a pleasure to talk to you. Stay safe and all the best. Thank you very much, Gustavo. Have a nice day. Professor Zielinski, Professor Jason Boucher, thank you very much for this very interesting and entertaining chat. Dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed our fireside chats. Thank you very much for your attention and your time. All the best, Christiane Tallinger and the Seacock Fireside team.